paradigm shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ, 102.1 FM, Brisbane's community radio station for the last 45 years. My name is Andy and I'm here with Ian. Hello, Andy. Hello, everyone. We're in and out of lockdown here. so Yes, that's right. Uh, dramatic last week. Um, well, not too dramatic, but um, while, while we do worry about those immediate uh, health concerns... Uh, around the country, people are worrying about the long-term effects of environmental destruction, um, of logging old-growth forests, of coal mining, and sometimes combining the two, cutting down forests for to build mines. And so today on the Paradigm Shift, we're going to be talking with some people who around the country are on the environmental front lines, uh, putting their bodies um in between the machines that are destroying our planet. Uh, got Miranda Gibson, a bit of a Australian environmental legend uh, who is involved in setting up a new camp at Olney in New South Wales, just north of Sydney. Uh, we've got Leon Pateman who is up in um, central Queensland blockading the Adani coal mine. He was in court this week for an action just before Christmas where they stopped... Uh, Dani's heavy machinery and also Eric from Tasmania from where they have a blockade camp at the Tarquine, Tarquina, um, where they have been for a number of years setting up trying to stop both logging and mines there to protect some of those wild places. So that's what's coming up over the next hour. I was very lucky while everyone was locked down in Brisbane I was walking over the tracks of the Green Mountains in the Lamington National Park and um, some of the the tracks upon which I was walking, they had been actually made by the Queensland Forestry Service from 1915 to 1975. So inside the National Park, the state logging or, or forestry service was actually making all these amazing tracks it was 58 workers over that period and their families and kids would live up there. A lot of them were on the dole and they'd been, they were basically working for the dole. But it was, it's a great system of tracks. If anyone gets a chance to enjoy the Green Mountains, they just go, go up there on those, on those great for, in those great forests. Well, and that is one of the parts of it as well. You know, forests, they're not just... 
are places that should exist for their own sake, which they are. You know, there's animals that live there, there's plant life that, that has as much a right to live as humans do. But of course, they also are things that have great value to us for humanity, just the as well as you know absorbing the carbon that we're emitting, but also the. I guess the spiritual value of connecting with those places and the beauty of them and the relief that we need from our crazy urban lives sometimes, you know, so how important it is to see the value in these forests. So today we're talking about uh, people using the tactic of blockading to save the forest. That's basically the the, the idea today. That's basically it. Tree sits, lock-ons, tripods... Um, dangerous attachment devices, as Anastasia Palaszczuk liked to call them. Um, it's got a, a proud history in Australia, of course, um, of protecting some of our um, native forests and some of our most valued um, natural spaces. And so, and a tradition that's still alive in more. We've got three different interviews today, but still alive in more places than that. There are a lot of different types of blockades. Uh, I've participated in some myself, never in a blockade for a forest, though. Um, how, do, how do those blockades, the forest blockades, differ from, say, a picket line or when you're, you're actually like the refugee solidarity movement here in Brisbane? H- how, do they, how do they differ? Well, I think traditionally a picket line um, was just uh, you got your workers and you stood in the way and... Uh, physically block people from going onto a, a work site that had been black banned. Um, forest blockading was sort of different because I guess it, you know, there wasn't one entrance into work sites and things like that necessarily. And um, often it was sort of illegal. You didn't have a, a union. So there was a, a set of tactics developed like the lock on pipes, like the tripods. Um, the tree sits and things like this of ways of stopping work um, when one person has huge big machinery and the power of the government on their side and the police and the other person who's defending only has their body so you have to come up with a few things to try to even it up and so these kind of techniques were developed as, as, that often required sneaking around in the bush as well to create them and um, they uh, I guess some of those tactics have been brought into the cities, you know, and we've seen that in recent years, Extinction Rebellion, the Stop Adani campaign and things like that, using some of these lock-on pipes, tripods in the city um, as well. And so that's been part of the legacy of forest blockading in Australia, as well as the forests that are still standing, but also creating a whole new way of creating change, of using the resources that you have as just a, a person with you know, your belief that you have right on your side against, you know, the state and the power industry and things like that. And so that's been an influence of forest blockading too. These ones that you're talking about, they're fairly remote, aren't they? They're they're away from big population centres. So it's hard to mobilise people to those... Yeah, that's it. Sometimes it's hard to get people out there, hard to get the media out there and the media paying attention to things that aren't happening in the city. Um... But uh, I guess that's it. That's been part of the, what, how these campaigns have been done and how some of our forests have been protected. Hmm. The oldest and most effective one I've been involved in was Terrania Creek. And um, that was had the benefit of being near two big population centres. So people who just 
knock off work and go down on the weekends and blockade the the forestry logging in Terania Creek, and we now have the benefit of it to, of it today. Yeah, well, and that's it. it's part of the I guess the story of how this how this was developed as a way of you know protecting our environment and resisting unjust power is that kind of Terania Creek and that history and so. I can see you're keen to get into it. So oh, yes. I, well, I, I want got, to listen to We've got three people to chat to yet, so stay <laughs> tuned for the next hour. Maybe I'll start off with a, a little song, though, about blockading. This is Paul Spencer, and then we'll be back with Miranda Gibson talking about Olney State Forest. I hate the Liberal Party with passion deep and party, so I voted for the Labour Party man. But the lying little evil turned out just as bloody evil It's clear he's out to break us if he can So this time I was keen, I went out and voted green And the good old coalition went and won If you want to change the laws, then the power's mine and yours And I think it's time to go and have some fun I'll burn a drop, some lock on pipes, tripods and canoes A smoking at the cop shop nearly always makes the news We can safely leave the violence in the hands of the police And go and make some music in the forests and the streets I want to make things better so I think I'll write a letter That a junior clerk can place upon a shelf but still the trees keep falling, I can hear the forest calling So I'll have to go and save the thing myself A banner drops and lock on pipes, tripods and canoes A smoking at the cop shop nearly always makes the news We can safely leave the violence in the hands of the police And go and make some music in the forests and the streets it's very widely known that if you cycle on your own The motorists will try to run you down But nothing ever feels quite as free as my two wheels When a hundred bikes have taken over town A banner drops and lock on pipes, tripods and canoes A smoking at the cop shop nearly always makes the news We can safely leave the violence in the hands of the police And go and make some music in the forests and the streets if you stand up for your rights or for someone else's fight You break the law which says you can't complain But civil disobedience is never ever tedious It's aggravated trespass time again A banner drops and lock on pipes, tripods and canoes A smoking at the cop shop nearly always makes the news We can safely leave the violence in the hands of the police and go and make some music in the forests and the streets. On Fortable Z, the paradigm shift that was Paul Spencer with Make Some Music. And this we're gonna chat now with Miranda Gibson, who is in New South Wales, um, trying to protect the Olney State Forest. Could you start by introducing yourself? Yeah, my name's Miranda Gibson. Um, and I'm one of the spokespeople for Forest Defence New South Wales. And there's a new uh, forest blockade camp in New South Wales being set up at Olney, which is uh, in near Wollamai National Park, north of Sydney. Um, can you tell us a bit about Olney and why that camp's been set up? Sure, yeah. So we set the camp up about a month ago, and basically we've been like keeping a bit of an eye on the Olney Forest because it's one of the areas 
in New South Wales that did survive the bushfires. So it's pretty unique in that a lot of areas around there got pretty smashed by the fires, um, but it's still intact. And this particular patch is just really spectacular. It has heaps of, like, really old trees with lots of hollows. We know there's lots of wildlife in there. So we've kind of been, you know, keeping an eye on it. And we actually had an event out there um, a couple of months back for the big canopy camp out and we had people come out and we uh, slept up in trees and it was a really great event and um, you know wh- when we were there people were pretty determined to, to say well if they do come in to log it when they come back and defend it and within about a month of that um, we actually found that machines had gone in there to start logging so we decided to respond by setting up the camp. It's not an area that has been the site of a lot of that kind of frontline environmental protest. When we think about New South Wales, it's more sort of further north um, around Coffs, Dorigo or northern New South Wales or in the far south. Is there much history of attempts to protect that area? Well, there hasn't really been a lot of protest in the area in quite a long time. Um, So... It is interesting because I guess the forestry and the loggers haven't really dealt with protesters before, so it's sort of a new experience for them. Um, so, yeah, I guess we, you know, it's it's something that we're sort of like building up momentum from, from scratch in terms of like building some connections to the local community and other people around who visit the site. Um, but I think what's really amazing about it is because where the logging goes right up to the border of the campground and it's a really popular campground there's people there every weekend and lots of people using it recreationally um so it's sort of been a really good site in that in that sense that we've been able to like build a lot of community support have a lot of community engagement with lots of people that use the forest there and it's sort of quite quickly built up a really great um vibe in terms of people coming out to camp and supporting it which is awesome mm. Do you think that things like the bushfires at the start of last year and uh, I guess forest role as a, a carbon sink and things like that has changed the way that uh, we're talking about forests and relating to them? Oh, definitely. I think the bushfires had a really big impact. Like we can see how much, you know, that like impacted Australia like all across the country and so many like people were watching as you know the wildlife were like needing to be rescued and we're seeing that just large tracts of forest were being lost so I think it actually has like created quite a shift in terms of like perspectives of people around the country and realizing that the areas that are have survived are like really important particularly for like wildlife habitat and for lots of reasons that those like remaining areas need to be protected so i think we're definitely seeing a shift in like community perspectives and maybe just a bit more awareness of the importance of protecting those areas Mm. uh the the blockade camp is something i mean you have a lot of experience with it but it is something that's sort of a a controversial thing and in some ways has often been a a kind of last resort if you try try to protect the forest through other means and then if you can't do it um then you take that kind of frontline action of physically stopping machines uh why in this case 
why was that a step that you guys decided to take? Well, I think, like, it sort of is a situation where, you know, we went in there, the logging machines were there, and if we didn't go in and start blockading, then, you know, then it's kind of like it's going to be too late. The forest is going to be gone. And, I mean, I think what's been really amazing is how successful it's been. So, basically, we set up the blockade and... The very next morning, the loggers turned up and, you know, within a few hours, they had made a decision to remove the machines um, and they actually haven't returned yet. So we're sort of hoping at this point that the camp will actually act as a deterrent and stop them from trying to come back in at all for that area. So, yeah, I think that it has been a really successful strategy. I guess, like you say, like people often sort of refer to it as a last resort sort of situation after you've tried lots of things. Um, I guess if we look at the forest campaign as, you know, not just this particular patch, but a broader perspective of native forests across Australia, I think there's lots of other aspects to the campaign that have been going on and have been going on for decades. And it sort of feels like now more than ever, especially after the bushfires, you know, that actually we kind of just need to get in there and protect those last remaining patches before we lose them all. So I guess that's why we felt like it was really important to get in there and actually physically stop the logging from happening. Mm. And you personally have a lot of experience with blockading. Um, I guess maybe do you want to share a little bit about your past doing this kind of activism? Yeah, sure. So I guess, yeah, I've been doing forest blockading for many years, um, mostly in Tasmania and a bit of Victoria. So it's kind of more new to me to be blockading in these forests in New South Wales. Um, in, when, in my time in Tasmania, I guess the most sort of well-known action that I took was when I was up a tree for 14 and a half months. So, um, yeah, that was in, in Tassie and I guess was a really successful action because it developed a lot of like momentum and media attention and helped a part of a bigger campaign there to protect a bunch of forests that we eventually won as World Heritage. So, yeah, I think from my experience in Tasmania and other places has kind of given me the inspiration to see that this tactic can be really successful and, you know, can be an important part of of the process of getting places protected. So, yeah, like, for example, in Tassie, we had a blockade there in the Florentine for about seven years and eventually got World Heritage protection through that blockade um, and through other aspects of the campaign. Um, But I do see, like, the direct action part, the blockading part was so essential there because if we hadn't gone in and physically stopped them from logging and and kept kept them out, then, you know, that whole valley would have been destroyed in the meantime before there was ever a chance to kind of get that world heritage status confirmed so yeah i think that those lessons of what i've learned from tasmania is kind of what i want to bring to what we're doing in new south wales as well and and i think that you know we are making a really strong stance here and it has been really successful so far and i think that if we can kind of keep the momentum going that you know we might be able to um get them out keep them out of of this particular area um but yeah i think you know a lot of forest protests in the past have been focused on sort of one particular patch of forest and i guess we're trying to avoid 
that in some way. So even though this is a beautiful area and, you know, we want people to come and visit it and, and fall in love with it as we have, we also want to highlight that it's, you know, it's not just about protecting this one little patch, but making a change in terms of the way native forests are being destroyed across the country and the way that industrial scale logging is operating across the country. So I guess trying to have that vocal focus while also having a bigger picture as well. If people want to find out more about Olney and the campaign there, how can they do that? So people can visit our Facebook site. So our group's called Forest Defence New South Wales. You can find us on Facebook um, and you can shoot us a message on there if you want to find out some more or come out to visit the camp. Um, it's pretty easy to find. So, yeah, if people are local to the area, we encourage them to come out. But if people are further afield, like in Queensland, then, you know, there's lots of other ways to support as well. So I guess one thing we're trying to do at the moment is just really spread the word because it's pretty new. So, yeah, if people can help us out by sharing it on Facebook or other social media platforms, then that's like a really great start to kind of help spread the word about what we're doing. All right. Thanks very much, Miranda. Good work down there. Awesome, thank you. change the world. Come To understand your point of view With this bulldozer shall never move No matter what they do I'm never gonna let go Never gonna let go Always shall be true I say knock on My will is strong
That is In Surge there, ending very abruptly uh, with a classic blockading song, Lock On, um, written in the early 2000s. I think probably Jabaluka had been a big uh, blockade campaigning at that time. Of, oh, there were other ones around then, uh, the Badger blockade in South East New South Wales. And, uh, of course, yes, there is great... I did once write a... Uh, a blog, a history of Australian blockading songs, actually. Maybe I'll put that up on the Paradigm Shift Facebook page if you want to get on your social media and uh, give the Paradigm Shift a like and listen to some excellent blockading music through our history. Um, you are on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. It's 26 past 12 and... Uh, we are talking about blockading in Australia before Insurge there. We were chatting with Miranda Gibson about the camp that they have set up in Olney in New South Wales. Um, we might move on now and chat with Eric um, from down in Tasmania where, of course, there is a, a great history of um, blockading there. Um, in the southwest, mostly the last few years, it's been often in the northwest at what's called the Tarquine or Tekina. And so I spoke with Eric Hayward um, this morning about what's going on there, um, protecting those beautiful ancient forests. Could you start off by introducing yourself? My name's Eric. Um, I'm with the Bob Brown Foundation here down in Tassie and um, basically campaign on anything wild down here. Um, so we're looking after after Tassie with regards to logging and mining. Um, and, yeah, we've just started the summer of fun down here. So we started a blockade up in the northwest in Takaina, Tarkine. And, um, yeah, it's going really well. We've moved in there actually early early this year the first action of this year was um rolling into a blockade so up high up in the trees and on the ground as well and it's protecting an area of rainforest and tall eucalypt forest in the southern part of Tekina. it's uh on pyman road so it's a pyman forest blockade and it's right next to one of the proposed mining sites as well so they've started uh doing some uh, earthworks for the Riley Creek Venture Minerals site, which is another massive disturbance flagship campaign where they're going to be pulling iron ore out of the ground, strip mining, in order to fund a massive mine work just down the road again in southern Dakina where they're going to um, basically take the top off a mountain and uh, shred the whole thing oh, well, below rainforest. So two, two kind of synonymous campaigns going on there there's a few things going on in tassie you mentioned there uh the venture minerals mine of course there's also logging happening in that Tekina area and there's also been protests against um uh, swift parrot habitat being logged in the eastern tiers and as well there's of course there's a long history in tassie in the southwest as well of protecting thing um uh, how is it going fighting all these different campaigns? It's great. We're at an all-time high in our movement here. There's a lot of people around. And obviously it's summer here in Tassie, so we get an influx of um, activists from all over the 
the world really all over the world and all over australia so we get heaps of help um and yeah there are a lot of campaigns we've got a commitment to to look after all these places so you mentioned the swift parrot we've just um been campaigning hard on the swift parrot because it's the swift parrot season right now for the last probably couple of months and into the new year swift parrots come down and their habitats get in logs in the northeast mainly in the northeast this year so they rove around there's been um heaps of actions bob brown actually got um arrested twice um yeah it was pretty good um he was he was like yep i'm just gonna get arrested and then the next day he walked out of court uh, no out of the cop shop went straight back up there and then refused to leave once again so it's a it's a great place for um yeah for, for, for defending those kind of that habitat the natural habitat um for this critically endangered um parrot and um yeah, we've had a good outcome so far. There's been a lot of pressure um, and there's a bit of a moratorium um, reprieve right now until uh, the main court case, the Bob Brown Foundation holding Great Forest case. Um, so there's a big legal challenge going on, um, similar to the ones in Victoria, so off the back of that. And hopefully that'll set precedent for a whole lot of other changes uh, in the forestry industry across Australia, um, ultimately looking for a no-native forest logging. Um, yeah, looking for no-native forest logging across Australia. We just don't have enough time. We don't have enough forests. Um, there was huge burns, as we all know, in, um, in Victoria recently and across in Tassie as well. The logging industry doesn't need to be logging um, old-growth forests or even native forest and so we need like the transition now and that's a really good um, time to be doing it. Um, in the Tarkine Tekina, the only areas that are up for logging are um, in the southern part of Tekina, so that's where we've moved into just to make sure they're not going to go into those areas that they said they wanted to. So that's where the blockade is um, and that's a permanent blockade. Um, from there also we're really near the other areas where they propose um, going in into other epic rainforest areas so we've got it covered up there um, always need people of course um, and then splitting up people again we've got people always looking around Tassie um, in the northeast so in the high in the tall forests of the northeast and in the southwest as well, in the south, so the southern forests are really important places um, where, yeah, logging continues. But we do have capacity right now, and so it's a really good time this year, this season, during the summer, to really, like, hit them hard and pack a punch. Um, yeah, the mining in the northwest is something that's um, been on the cards for a long time, and it fluctuates with um, the need of this iron, supposedly, um, and where they're defending and stopping that from actually happening because we don't we don't need to be logging rainforest to get cheap iron out of the ground. It's, it's ludicrous in a time of climate crisis. Yeah, I spoke also on the Paradigm Shift today, we spoke with Miranda Gibson, who's in New South Wales, and she mentioned yep. the idea after a long time of blockading protects specific places, that idea that 
at this stage with climate change, with um, the amount that's burned and things like that, we just need to stop focusing on one specific place like Tekina or the Florentine or something and just an native forest logging. That seems to be uh, Bob Brown Foundation's aim as well. Um, is How... Why would you think this is with the logging industry as it is? Oh, look, we we really don't need to be going into old forests to get wood chips. That's what they're doing in Tassie. They're decimating ancient forests, tall eucalypt forests, the huge carbon stores, um, just basically to satisfy the need of like some offshore greedy companies. Um, through quotas that were written on false numbers, and they're wood chipping the whole lot. Um, literally 95% um, wood chip in most of these old growth areas. And yeah, like Miranda said, and like other campaigners across Australia have said, like this is the time now to move away from native forest logging. We don't need to be logging native forests where we're already seeing massive decline in, in forests. Um, across Australia, there's so much plantation estate that can be used and managed properly. Um, when they talk about job losses, there's so, there's like minimal numbers of jobs that would have to actually transition out um, in order to to satisfy a no native forest logging um, time. And um, really, in the time of crisis that we're in, it needs to stop immediately, just so that we can actually do something about like our um, our emissions in Australia I mean, out of Australia and um, to stop native forest logging is nothing um, that's gonna it's, it's not a <laughs> we're not gonna like halt um, jobs jobs aren't just gonna like fall out of the air um, it's really important to to realize that there's no time left now and that's why we're on the front lines and we're in the forests actively stopping this work from happening. Mm. If people are interested, how can they find out more or keep following it? Yep, so come down, Tassie. Um, look up on the Bob Brown Foundation website or any of the social media that's going around. There's, um, you can find instructions on how to get out to camp or who to contact on the Bob Brown Foundation website. And, um, yeah, it'll be great to see people come out there. All right. Thanks very much, Eric. And good work down there. Yeah, good one. Well, thanks for getting in touch, Andy. And, um, yeah, solidarity to all the crew out there doing all the stuff they're doing all over Australia. Language warning on this track, a classic one from Conation for those who like their environmental protection songs a bit heavier. So much for slow motion catastrophes The world has turned on us again Trying to take all that we've built Work towards with our hearts and our hands Well, fuck them! They can't have it! This is our world! Chase that. We're not going to 
on the Paradigm Shift on Fortable Z. That was Conation with slow motion catastrophes. It's our world and we're allowed to fight for it. It's a classic line in that song. Um, and not just allowed, we need to, you know, um, from the self-destructive urges in our society that want to destroy the things that we need for life, um, we we have to stand up for the forests and things that can't speak for themselves and have no uh, monetary value to speak in the only language that many of those in power understand. Now, Andy, I've been on the paradigm shift with you for a number of years now. I think you're going to have to come clean. What is your role in all of this? I mean, you're playing all these forest songs. You seem to be a media liaison person. <laughs> uh, you, you, you're just a bit, a bit hard to pin down. Uh, I, um, I've never claimed too much uh, journalistic objectivity. Um, yeah, I've, I think a show like this is good. I, some of these people are people I know. They um, people I've worked alongside trying to protect forests and. Um, being out doing some of these things and say, you know, some days you're a journalist, some days you're being interviewed by a journalist, some days you're talking to somebody about blockading, some days you're setting up a tree sit or get somebody yeah, blocked and, on. And, and another day you're starring in some film about forest defence. Oh, well, you just you got to do what you can to protect, protect the environment, do the things that you care about as well. Well, the... The forests are the ally of the environment, of the really of the climate. They're the main ally. They're, oh, they're the breathing lungs. And <laughs> yeah, so important. Um, speaking of climate change, uh, Adani, we know all about it here in Brisbane, in Queensland. It's been one of the big political issues over the last, I don't know, seven years. Um, and there's been plenty of people up there taking frontline action blocking uh, machines and things like that, trying to stop the construction of that mine, while also lots of people in cities and things have done a great job as well. I spoke with Leon Pateman, who just before Christmas went out there and locked himself to some of Adani's machines. He's been in court this week. So let's have a listen to Leon. Could you start off by introducing yourself? Yeah, sure. My name's Leon. I uh, recently took part in... Uh, a direct action at the quarry site up in, I think it was uh, near Beliander, uh, which is in central Queensland. Um, and the reason I did that is because the quarry was using rocks to uh, help build, or actually Adani was contracted to help build their roads um, with that quarry. So, yeah, we, we were there. Three of us were there to uh, stop work that day. And uh, we did for the whole day. It was pretty good. So um, many of our listeners will be familiar with the Adani campaign and the fact that there are people up there um, blockading, taking frontline action. I guess, yeah, so can you tell us a bit about what the experience was like going to that quarry and finding the machines and how did you block them? Uh, Yeah, it was uh, pretty hectic. we I'd never done this kind of action before, and uh, we uh, were there and um, before work had started, and we uh, found the kind of the most comfortable position we could be in, and, and then we locked on um, with our elbow locks, and basically just waited for the workers to arrive. And yeah, the uh, 
Well, the way that the uh, dozers were set up, or the, I think the front-end loaders is what they called them, the way they were set up were um, one of them was set to the side and then they had three all together. Um, and I was on the one that was set aside. Uh, so the other two who took part were kind of together and um, the, the workers were kind of spotted me first. And Yeah, it was a bit hectic, you know, I was kind of by myself for a bit. But um, once they moved some of the trucks, uh, to, it kind of seemed like they were pretending to work to show off to the cameras. But, yeah, once they moved some of the trucks and I could have had, had a clearance and I could see um, uh, the other two, it was, it was pretty nice. But, yeah, we, we all just locked on and stayed on until they could cut us off. So this is using the classic steel kind of right-angle pipe the so-called in Queensland dangerous attachment device. What was it like um, being locked into this on on a big uh, machine for many hours? Well, yeah, because they're so big um, and so clunky. Like the uh, the <clears throat> the actual elbow locks are yeah not too forgiving and they're very rigid. Um, but also we were well, we were locked into really big machines so. Once we found someone that was pretty, like we could get our hands around, we really didn't have, or at least I didn't have, almost any room to move. So it was kind of uncomfortable, but we were in the shade, and it was, uh, yeah, it was nice enough to um, to have some shade and have some water and snacks. Um, but yeah, it was pretty rigid. We were, we were kind of stuck in the place that we had locked on for about, yeah. I think it collectively was about 10 hours. Mm. Um, and you've been in court this week regards to that? Yeah, yeah, just got out of court two days ago. Um, just got a $1,000 fine for the whole thing um, and uh, no conviction. So it was pretty great. We did have... Uh, a year and a half ago or so, there was a big fuss in Queensland about these devices, Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk claiming that they were these booby-trapped bombs, essentially, yeah. and new laws brought in, threatening prison and all this kind of thing. Um, mm. But you you got no conviction recorded and a relatively small fine and not much mm. drama. Uh, what do you think about that kind of media sensationalism about what is really a, a very mundane act? Uh, well, I think a government tries very hard to disincentivize its people to do certain things, and one of the ways that they do that is through pretty harsh legislation. And uh, one of the interesting things that came from our court um, uh, experience was that we actually had the judge or the magistrate who did the first uh, ruling um, from these dangerous attachment devices. He was the first to rule on that new legislation uh, and <clears throat> the first to get a field on it. And so it was quite funny because he was very much trying his hardest to, uh, I don't know, give us the most severe um, punishment he could, but he was bound by the high courts and he knew that he'd just get it appealed again and we got an, a $1,000 fine, which is exactly the same as the appeal that he got uh, for the first people who who locked on and got uh, tried under that, or with that charge. 
Yeah, so it was a year ago up at a similar kind of action in central Queensland there. Originally they were sentenced to a suspended prison sentence but it was later reduced to a $1,000 fine. Yeah. Um, so, Leon, you are relatively new to um, blockading. What brought you to doing this, getting arrested, sitting in uncomfortable positions all day? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a change, eh? But um, I originally wanted to work, I guess, within the system. Um, I worked as a corp in the courts and I monitored the courts. I did some transcribing for the courts and for the police. And yeah, I was just interested in the process of justice. Um, I, I guess I believed in it. Um, and then, yeah, after working there, especially transcribing, there's a weird, weird thing as a private contract. Our company was privately contracted by the courts and the police to do the work that we did. And one of the weird things in particular that rubbed me the really, really rubbed me the wrong way was um, when you're doing transcribing for police interviews, uh, there's a little line that they tell you, which is if you see something that you think might be illegal, uh, you have to assume that the police are investigating it internally, which is basically just a catch-22 to say the police can get away with whatever they want and you're not allowed to whistleblow, which really rubbed me the wrong way. And then I think the final straw for me was when I sat in court hearing the submissions for uh, the police commissioner of New South Wales versus David Dungay Jr. I was the monitor for that for a couple of days of that. And, um, yeah, when Justice Iris ruled that um, our inalienable right to protest is, is infringing on public health, um, and, you know, it was, it was the huge hypocrisy of, oh, well, you know, the police commissioner didn't call 5G protests into court. And, yeah, when I was sitting there and just listening to it and all the submissions, it just made me think, like, this isn't it, you know? This isn't the way to, to actually, um, I don't know, combat things like uh, justice, systemic justice with um, calling uh, accountability for police, for instance, or climate change, or all of this bureaucratic, um, I don't know, faffing that goes on in court really doesn't amount to anything. Mm. So you got out there, put your body where your beliefs are. That's right. Absolutely. Great. It's and nice to be on the other side of the bench. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you're up there still at, at Camp Binby now. Do you want to give us a quick update of where that's at and what's happening? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, there was five of us that were charged, and we, I think it's been a year now. I'm not too sure, but it's been a while since they've slapped on the, um, the ridiculous charge to not let us come here uh, as a bail condition after our action. But we've basically just been living out of our cars trying to find somewhere to go because we've had to appear in court and there's nowhere to live in central Queensland. Um, so, yeah, we've just come back after after our court appearance, or after our court being finalised. Um, so all in pretty high spirits. We all got pretty pretty um, nice uh, nice uh, judgments. Um, and we're, yeah, I mean, personally right now, I'm just working on my van. Um, people are just, yeah, just just happy to be here it's pretty nice it's pretty hot i think the um the storms in la nina has 
has really flooded a lot of Adani's corridor and done most of our work for us. And thankfully, they can't charge them with damage from mine. So, yeah, we're pretty chuffed at the moment. All right. Great. And uh, if people want to find out more about Camp Binby and the frontline campaign against Adani, how can they do that? Yeah, they can just head to frontlineaction.org. Uh, slash join or slash register or yeah you can just um, work your way around the website on frontlineaction.org and learn about us and how to get back up here alright thanks very much Leon yeah no worries that is Leon Pateman there who did just before Christmas lock himself to a front end loader it was being used to construct Adani's roads out there in central Queensland where they're trying to build that very destructive mega mine despite years of resistance. Um, and we have been talking today with people all over the country uh, blockading, taking direct action. Of course, it's not the only way to protect our planet, but it certainly is a, a direct way and, and a way that it's hard to dismiss. You know, a, a letter to the, a politician can be ignored, a, a Facebook post can be buried by the algorithm or whatever, all these different things. You can't ignore somebody locking themselves to the machine that is trying to cut down a forest or dig a mine. And so uh, it's a way that has through the years been effective and been inspiring as well of uh, just the the potential for people working together to create change and of course a lot of these blockade camps are amazing spaces as well where you can live very communally and uh, every day you're living out the things that matter to you, you're meeting different people with different skills, you're finding different skills in yourself when you have the opportunity to do things that you never did before, you know, where you have people some of these people that we're talking to who are school teachers or court um, investigators, court monitors and things like that, and then they're out there learning how to rig up tree sits, how to um, lock on, how to talk to the media and all this kind of stuff. And so they are great spaces. If you can get involved blockading, I do recommend it. Of course, it's hard with interstate travel at the moment, but, yeah, there's always a need for people... Uh, helping out protecting our planet. There was some interesting and wide-ranging insights there by Leon, who, as you said, he, he worked for a court reporting service, a privatised one, and when he was went to court, he was on the other side, and um, it was interesting that, that the criticism that he had there too, um, two very serious matters. One was the, um, the death in custody of David Dungay, who was a man who, prior to the recent Black Lives Matter, he, he died not being able to breathe in Long Bay Jail. And and in that uh, interview there with him, uh, he, he mentioned that he was the, the transcriber of the police interviews. And he was saying there, you know, that the police had just get this free get-out-of-jail card where they de they just it's assumed that there's an internal investigation whether there be one or not and the the travesty of the way in which the system is rigged um, even at that low level of transcription of the of the evidence yeah well that's it the ultimately the our society is arranged in a way that you know protects the power of those who have it and so at, at lots of levels and that's why 
you know, even despite a bit of criticism about the legality of some of these actions, people going out, getting arrested, that's why you have to do these things, you know, to, to try to right the balance a bit. I suppose the big question, though, is will the blockade of Adani be effective? Well, that's, that is a big question. And You're there. You, yeah, you, yeah, I have to say it is... The Adani are working on that mine. They've been working on it all year while the rest of the world has been stopped, you know, watching COVID, watching Trump, and they're still they're building infrastructure for it. They're scraping the top of that pit. And it's a shame. It's been one of the great environmental campaigns in recent Australian history. And um, it is a, a shame to to watch it getting closer but then again that's not built yet and there's no mine there's no rail line to transport any coal they don't have finances they're still trying to find extra loans they don't have insurance and so that mine it's not built yet and i think too much has been put into it and too much is at stake to not keep going as long as possible and as hard as possible to try to do everything that we can you say they don't have the finances but they've signed a contract with the BMD road development for over 300 million for that. Um, they've also signed contracts with um, Martinus for the rail link. So that's, I mean, that's money. That's big well, money. Well, yeah, I mean, the, they've, <laughs> what the proposed mine is is drastically reduced at the moment and from what it originally was planned to be and even that was partly done because they couldn't get a loan from bank and so it was the idea that they could uh, use their own capital to finance it but now they're talking again about needing a billion dollar loan from State Bank of India who are very close mates with Adani and so their own financial situation might not be as as strong as they had said they've you know in the corporate world there's a lot of bluffing and things like that and so yeah, I think it's a bit more borderline. The fossil fuel market, like a lot of things, is in flux at the moment. So we'll wait and see. Hmm. But we'll keep keep doing what we can. Well, uh, there's another blockade happening tonight at uh, the uh, Kangaroo Point Central Apartments. This time it's organised by the Refugee Action Collective at 5pm. So if you want to, go down there and uh, give some solidarity to the refugees. And the other thing is that there's a... Um, a law and um, uh, it, it's law and justice conference that is being held at Mount Cutha this weekend on Sunday. If you look it up on Facebook or on Workers Bush Telegraph, it's a um, truth, sovereignty, and and uh, uh, law conference at the Brusbox picnic area at Mount Cutha Sunday at 10 a.m. till 4.30 p.m., all invited. They'll be talking about native title, tribal treaties, common law, a whole lot of workshops as well. There's childcare and it's COVID safe. So look that up and if you're, if you're interested in that, they're all are welcome. Great. That is all we have time to time for on the Paradigm Shift. We'll be back next week. We'll go out with uh, Zelda Dar from the album Rock and Roll for Block and Coal the soundtrack to the frontline resistance to Adani. This is never going to build that mine. We 
honour those who are gone and remember why we fled our homes, where they held back our speech and actions. A syndrome of a supremacy built to destroy our bodies and erase us for good. Our spirits will transcend hardships to find shelter in this neighbourhood. This is where we will make our homes.